the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Morning, Little Rock and Central Arkansas. This is Nick Horton filling in for the great, the handsome, the legendary Dave Ellswick. Uh, it's really good to to be back with you. It's been a couple months since I got to sit in this very powerful seat uh, behind this very powerful microphone and and just visit with y'all. And uh, I'm excited to be here. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I uh, look to me. To me, it's really simple. Thanksgiving is the best holiday uh, known to man. Always has been, always will be. I I shared that opinion on Twitter the other day. Um, Apparently... Apparently, I'm. I'm. Uh, I don't want to say I'm the only one that thinks that, but I got a lot of. I got a lot of varying opinions. Uh, you know, some people were like, "Nick, I thought you. you know, I thought you loved America. Uh, what about the Fourth of July? I, I love the Fourth of July. It's a great holiday. Um, you know, usually grill some hamburgers, my wife's potato salad, corn on the cob, some watermelon. Uh, the Fourth of July is great, but you know, it's usually hot. Um, you know, it, it's sticky outside in Arkansas. It's really muggy out there. I don't know. I, I love Fourth of July. I love America. Okay, just to be clear, I think I could make. I think I could make a pretty strong argument that Thanksgiving is actually, you know, not technically legally the birth of America, but the start of the American idea really did happen on the first Thanksgiving. And so, to me. The true patriots love Thanksgiving uh, as their favorite holiday. Just saying. And then Christmas, you know, Christmas, obviously, um, you know, is a great is a great time of year. It's a great day, but it's, it's a season. You know, it's a season. It's not just a day. It's not really a holiday in the in the in the human sense. I mean, it's a it's so much bigger than that. So I feel like it, I feel like Christmas is kind of in its own category. And Thanksgiving to me. Man, there's just nothing better. Turkey, dressing, green bean casserole. I didn't get any green bean casserole this year. I'm still a little bit... I didn't get any green bean casserole, and I didn't get any of my mother-in-law's deviled eggs, which I was promised, and I forgive you, um, but she forgot to make the deviled eggs, and that's you know really the only time of year that we get them. So, a little bit disappointed, but had a great Thanksgiving. Um, we did a, a, a Mexican-themed dinner uh, at my mom's house. I made uh, I made enchiladas, and we had guac, and um, just something a little bit different there. And then, you know, on Thursday, had the traditional smoked turkey and mashed potatoes and all that good stuff. It was a lot of fun. It's a great, great holiday. 
Um, and I hope that you all had a great holiday as well with with your families. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I hope we never. I hope we never lose appreciation for Thanksgiving. I worry. I've worried a lot over the last eight or nine years. You know, as you see the Christmas holiday get bigger and bigger and more and more commercialized, and it just. You know, I, I was in I don't know, some store, Hobby Lobby or something, in like mid October, before Halloween, and they already had all the Christmas stuff out. I mean, this is like three months, two months, two and a half months before Christmas, and they've got all the Christmas stuff out. And I don't like Halloween. You know, uh, grew up homeschooled. We don't celebrate the devil's birthday. Okay, not at our house, but. Thanksgiving, you, we can't lose Thanksgiving. Like we can't just leapfrog my favorite holiday and arguably one of the most important holidays. Um, and I'm worried that 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 that's starting to happen. But nonetheless, we'll we'll make the best of it. Um, Nick Horton filling in for for Dave Ellswick. Excited to be here. I, uh, last time I was here, oh gosh, it was back in mid September or so maybe late September, a couple months ago. And we talked a lot about, we had, a, we had a lot of guests. We had a lot of great guests, some state legislators, some incoming state legislators. You know, that was, that was pre-election. Gosh, it feels like a lifetime ago. Um, we had Sarah Huckabee Sanders on, now governor-elect. A couple really great shows in there. And I talked to you a lot about my work uh, as the CEO of of Red Truck Strategies. So if you're a conservative cause or a conservative candidate or a conservative organization, you know, we'll partner with you. We'd love to partner with you to tell your story, to do polling and messaging and research. And uh, that was kind of a new a newer thing. The first time I'd been on the radio talking about it, certainly. And, you know, we launched this company back in June or so and had a, have had a tremendous few months um, and certainly can talk more about that throughout the show today. But as some of you know that know me, uh, you know, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's my ADHD. I don't know if it's just, you know, I'm just overly ambitious, but... For most of my life, for most of my career, I've never quite been content with just wearing one hat. And it's not its not really a, a lust for power or, or money or anything like that. I just, I've got a lot of interests and I've got a lot of things that I'm, I'm pretty good at. And, you know, not a ton of things that I'm really good at, but a lot of things that I'm pretty good at and I'm interested in. And so uh, something's changed. Uh, there's a lot of buildup here, but something has changed since the last time I was here on on the on the radio. Is I've added another hat. Um, and so we talked about Red Truck Strategies and the work that we're doing with candidates and causes and, and organizations. But the other problem, I mean, the other the other opportunity and the, and the problem that I've seen here in Arkansas in particular is. The lack of a true Arkansas-based think tank, policy organization that's driving policy ideas and solutions here in Arkansas. We've got national groups, and there's some great ones. 
They've got great ideas. And we've got some in-state groups that work on a, you know, a few niche issues, and they're really good at what they do, and they're effective. Oh, a couple of them have almost worked themselves out of jobs because they've been so successful at, at getting policy changed. But on economic issues, on tax and regulation, and all the rules and bureaucracy and gobbledygook around work and licensing and the training and the fees and all these things, all these hoops that go, arbitrary hoops that governments created that you have to to jump through just to be able to earn a paycheck to feed your family in the state of Arkansas. There aren't there there isn't a group or there hasn't been a group that is just really laser focused on those issues over the last five, six, seven years in Arkansas. There hasn't been a group that's really laser focused on our welfare crisis. The fact that we have more than a million people on Medicaid now in the state of Arkansas. 1.1 million people out of 3 million. It's more than a third of our state. And it's still going up because we're not removing anyone from Medicaid. Because we took a bunch of COVID money from the federal government and said, uh, a bribe essentially, and said, you give us this little bit of extra money to help us get through the pandemic and all the extra people that we expect to come on to Medicaid. And in exchange... We won't remove anyone from Medicaid. What a what a bargain. So we're coming up on two and a half, almost three years now since we've removed anyone from Medicaid. And the welfare rolls are going up and up and up and up. And there's just not been really an in-state group that's really focused on that. That's coming up with Arkansas specific solutions homegrown ideas that can really start to change some of these things we talked last time a lot about our crime crisis violent crime in Arkansas is 70% higher than the national average let's say that again violent crime in Arkansas is 70% 70% higher than the national average now we can't we can't eliminate crime, right? We can't we can't stop every single bad thing from happening. And certainly, you you, you all that know me know I'm a, I'm a small government guy. Okay, I'm not I'm not suggesting that government can eliminate crime entirely. But there are some things that can be done that can be fixed. There's some things that government has broken that they need to self correct that are contributing and fueling this crime crisis and we all of us have a responsibility to engage with our state policymakers and demand that something change and foster care we talked with some foster care experts last time i was here we talked about the thousands of kids that are trapped in our foster care system Most of them are never going to see their families again. A lot of them are going to go to multiple houses, multiple foster homes, 
And thank God that those people are there, that those foster homes are there for these kids. Because we've also seen numerous times kids in the Arkansas foster system having to sleep on cots at DHS offices in government buildings because we have so many foster kids and not enough foster families. And part of the reason for that is is twofold is because the rules have been written in a way, in my opinion, I've studied this a lot over the summer, the rules have been written in a way that favor foster care. And what I mean by that is they lean towards pulling kids into foster care. When a judge is reviewing a case, DHS has a lot of power to pull kids into the foster system. And then on the flip side, we've got a lot of hurdles for getting foster parents into the system. And so we've got a system that over... um, it overpulls kids into the system, and then we've got, on the other side of the scale, rules and barriers in place that make it too difficult for foster families to step in and to help. And it's a recipe for disaster. we got to take a quick break. I'm going to have more on this and share more with you about this new organization that we're launching here in Arkansas uh, right after the break. This is Nick Horton. Filling in for Dave Ellswick. We'll be right back. And we're back on the Dave Ellswick Show. Nick Horton, CEO of Red Truck Strategies, filling in for the great Dave Ellswick. And also, I should add, we'll just jump right into it, CEO and founder of Opportunity Arkansas, a new policy organization here in the state of Arkansas that is here for the long haul. And we're going to be around... Uh, You're probably going to be tired of hearing my voice and seeing my face before it's all said and done, but we're here for the long haul, and our mission is to renew the land of opportunity by simplifying government and solving generational problems for the next generation. So if you want to learn more about the work that we're doing, you can go to opportunityarkansas.org. We started, uh, you know, we kind of did a soft launch last month. You know, I'm not big... You know, there's something to be said for the, oh, we're here and here's a press release and, you know, we're this big new fancy organization. That's not my style. My style is, look, we're here. We've got good ideas. We want to be relevant and and, and in front of policymakers and decision makers. We don't need a lot of fanfare. Um, So we haven't done just a super big push on the launch of the organization or, or anything like that, at least not yet. Um, But what we have done is launched our website, published our advisory board, which reminds me here at at 6.30 or just after 6.30 when we come back from the break, we'll have a member of our advisory board uh, calling in to talk about education reform. So you won't want to miss that. Uh, A national education expert uh, who resides in the state of Oklahoma right next door, but is also an advisory member of uh, of our new organization, Opportunity Arkansas. Um. Yeah, and we've launched our website. We have started to publish some regular policy content there. We're talking about the crime crisis. We're talking about our government, size of government crisis, um, and writing some really interesting content about the size of state government, how it compares to states around us, how much we're paying state employees. I don't know if y'all knew this, but we've got nearly 300 state employees that make more 
per year than the governor, and that's just on a salary basis. That doesn't include all of their benefits and compensation and pensions and paid time off and all of those goodies that they get. Some of them, no doubt, have state-funded, uh, taxpayer-funded vehicles. But we got 300 of them. And the governor makes about a buck sixty a year, $160,000 a year. You got 300 state employees that make more than that. And that doesn't include, you know, Sam Pittman and and uh, Eric Muscle, Musselman and the sports coaches. This is just this is just traditional state employees. Traditional state agency employees. And they're making a lot of money. And they're at the legislature constantly asking for more money. More of your money. And so we just think it's important to educate the public about what these folks are doing, how much money they're making, how big these departments have gotten. You know, we we published a piece a couple weeks ago about the size of state government. We have 76,000, just over 76,000 state employees in the state of Arkansas. And it's kind of a nebulous number, like, you know, out of context, like 76,000. Well, you know, we got 3 million people. Maybe that's a lot. But when you put it in, uh, or, or you know, maybe that's appropriate. When you put it in context with our population and the states around us, so you, you, you put it in uh, the context of oh, per 100,000 residents, let's say, we have almost 2,600 state employees per 100,000 residents. Tennessee, right next door. A state that has twice the population that we do, and no state income tax, and better roads, they have half the number of state employees per 100,000 residents. Half. In fact, there's no state around us, not even close to us, that has more than 2,000 per 100,000 residents. So, it's a massive problem. You know, I, my thing, and we sh- we talked about this last time as well, is took us a long time to dig this hole. I'm not under any illusion we're going to get out of it overnight. It's going to take a long time to dig our way out. But my hope is that by bringing some attention to these issues, we can start to put the shovel down, right? We can stop digging the hole. Stop the bleeding so to speak, if I can uh, if I can mix analogies. So we're going to talk more about this. I uh, Some of you, if you read the Democrat Gazette, you've seen, I, I've published a couple things there as guest pieces in the last few months. One of them was November 19th, about seizing opportunity. And uh, we'll, we'll get into this later in the show. I'll, I'll just read this piece, and it'll give you, I think, a little bit more Context, a little bit more texture of what we're going to be doing at Opportunity Arkansas and why. Uh, but if you'd like, if you're a subscriber to the Democrat Gazette, you can go you can go look that up. Uh, you can also see it on our, our Facebook page and, and my Twitter account. But it, we're talking about generational problems. You know, I I'm not interested in running an organization that just kind of tweaks around the edges and and passes a few bills every legislative session and then you know goes home and pats ourselves on the back for two years until the legislature comes back and then and then we do it again 
I'm ready to see some things change. And I'm ready to see the problems that my parents were talking to me about 30 years ago. I'm pretty determined that when my kids, who are five and two, when they're my age, 30 years from now, they may have problems. We may have problems. And we will. We're, you know, governments run by humans. Humans are flawed. There's only been one perfect human. And uh, maybe if we're lucky, he'll come back before then. But in the meantime, we're going to have we're going to have problems. But can we can we uh, can we put the shovel down? Can we stop digging? And can we start to turn the corner a little bit? Violent crime is going to exist, but it doesn't have to be 70 percent higher than the national average. We got a state income tax. That doesn't have to exist. We can get rid of that sucker. And uh, and there's a way to do it, by the way. And we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. We're back on the Dave Ellswick Show. This is Nick Horton, founder and CEO of Opportunity Arkansas and Red Truck Strategies, uh, filling in for Dave today. Don't know what he's doing, but I hope he's enjoying his time off. Uh, he's certainly earned it. Uh, and we'll look forward to having him back uh, in this chair very soon. We've been talking about uh, this new organization that uh, this is you know really the first time uh, I've had a chance to share with you guys on the radio here about Opportunity Arkansas and about what we're going to be doing coming up in this next legislative session and, and in years to come. Some of the things that we want to focus on of fighting our, our violent crime crisis, figuring out how to solve our uh, dependency crisis. And also figuring out how do we how do we improve our education system? I mean, they're they're. I think you can make a pretty strong argument that fixing the education system is really a foundational component of solving all of these other generational problems that we've been talking about. When you when you think about crime, you think about dependency, uh, you think about the workforce development, all these problems that we have. Education is you know quite literally the the foundation and the cornerstone of, of solving a lot of those issues and so that's also something we're going to be we're going to be tackling and taking on um and as part of that uh, discussion kind of looking ahead at what's coming down the pike uh really proud and privileged to be joined right now by mr ryan walters uh ryan is the current uh oklahoma secretary of education but also congratulations are in order because he was just elected as the Oklahoma State Superintendent of Instruction in Oklahoma, which we're going to have to hear more about that in a minute. But, uh, Ryan, thanks so much for joining this morning. Oh, yeah, man, Nick, I, I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited about the work uh, that you're doing in Arkansas. And uh, always over here in Oklahoma, we love having a great partner in conservatism over in Arkansas. So very, very excited to see what's in store over there in this next couple of years. Well, that's very kind of you. Um, we're glad to have you on the show. Glad to have you also on the advisory board of Opportunity Arkansas. Very proud of that. And, uh, yeah, it's great to have a, a neighboring state, uh, you know, that's doing some good work in education. Uh, want to hear more about that before we do. T- tell us, we, we don't have a state superintendent of instruction here in Arkansas Give us just a really quick high-level view of what that position looks like and maybe how it's different than your current role. 
Yeah, first of all, you know, we are one of the uh, one of the eight states that do it this way. So it's an odd way of doing things where we have a cabinet-level position that's appointed by the governor. It's um, the secretary of education that's largely an advisory role, and that's the role that I've served in for the last two years. And we elect a state superintendent of, of public instruction that really – not only runs the Department of Education, but has constitutional powers to oversee the entire school system. So I'll, I'll, I'll kind of give you an example of this. You know, back when COVID uh, first started, you know, you remember Ron DeSantis in Florida, you know, hey, uh, they say schools, you can't have a mask mandate. Well, here in our state, the governor and I wanted to do that, but because all the powers are entrusted in the state superintendent, we battled the state superintendent for nearly a year of her trying to push mask mandates in our schools while, frankly, we wanted to go the other way and say we didn't want those in our schools. But there's so much power in our state that's constitutionally given to that office. So that's, that's, that's the, the new role that I'm serving in. And, and the governor and I, the governor was reelected. I was elected. Him and I see uh, very, very eye to eye on education policy. And we really want to advance school choice in the state. We want to get this indoctrination out of our schools, the pornography out of our schools, really put parents in the driver's seat of their kids' education and go back to a time where really the family was the focus uh, of, of, a, of a child's education and what the decisions were about a child. And so, you know, we're really excited about that. We're very excited about Sarah Huckabee Sanders over there in Arkansas. We think she's just a rock star. Yeah. Um, so we're really excited about that. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, we're, we're excited too. And, you know, it's exciting to have a state – you know, we, we talk about Tennessee a lot, and, and Tennessee and Texas and Arkansas, when we talk about income tax and, and how they're competing for jobs uh, and out-competing us for jobs because they don't have income tax and they have all these other, uh, you know, great attractive uh, aspects of their economies. I feel like Oklahoma is really quickly becoming our education competitor, uh, thanks to you, which, hey, I, I appreciate. I mean, we're going to try to outdo you, but I'm not sure we're going to be able to keep up because uh, you guys are are already well ahead and, and are pu- pushing uh, even further ahead. What are some things y'all have done in the last few years? And then what are a couple things you're, you're looking at coming up? Um, Cause I want to steal all of your ideas and give them to, uh, to legislators here in Arkansas. <laughs> well, you know, some of the things that, that we're really excited about is first of all, we decided to overhaul our public school system in a, in a transfer portal so that kids could go to the public school they wanted. We had situations here in the state of Oklahoma where literally a, a school district would not allow a student to transfer to another school district for eight months out of the year because we had this really mm. small window. And of course it wasn't very you know publicized. And so parents, you know, they wouldn't know they'd miss this window and they wouldn't be able to transfer school districts. So we put that into effect two years ago and we've seen tens of thousands of families um, utilize that portal within the first six months of it being open. So it's a very heavily utilized there of just getting kids in the right public school that fits their needs. Um, we then passed an opportunity scholarship raising our cap where, again, through private uh, donated dollars, kids could get scholarships to private schools. And, again, we've seen a lot of need there um, as well. We were also one of the first states to pass a critical race theory ban. I mean, we began seeing all of these just – you know, um, you know, crazy stories out of our schools about curriculum that's entering in. That's just, first of all, it's a historical. It's not right. It's not historically accurate. Number one. Number two. Yeah. It was it was indoctrination being pushed on our kids. And and you know, we're sitting here back in Oklahoma two years ago, going, 
how in the world is this getting into our curriculum? How in the world is this getting into our schools? And so we've really begun to have a focus. We passed a, a, a law that said, you know, you have to pass um, the um, citizenship test to pass high school. And so, look, we, we want to return to the, to the basics. We want to return to an understanding of American history um, so that our kids have that knowledge. And so we've been really excited about those those items and you know what we're looking for now is you know we want a we want a universal education savings account that'll truly put families in charge of all their education dollars because you know that's what we continue to hear from families and you know i'm fresh off the campaign trail across the state now you hear parents go look you know i haven't been involved in the decisions my school has been making i want better for my kid i don't understand how we have an education system that doesn't reflect the needs of my kid. You know, I, I just, you know, I always tell the story. I was, I was out in way western Oklahoma, was talking to a farmer who said, look, my kid is 17 years old. He knows he wants to be a farmer. He's ready to get involved in the ag business. He's ready to learn more about it. And yet he's in a school that is teaching him things that, first of all, he's not excited about, doesn't connect to his job. He's ready to go. And he feels like he's got to wait another two years to get out of this. We've had some private schools over here that have launched some incredible initiatives with these work internships where they literally go work most of the day in a job and they get credit for it and they come and do kind of this more flexible school day. And he's like, well, why can't my kid do that? Like he knows what he wants to do, but it's like he's got to take this one track and it doesn't fit him. And I'm like, that's, that's exactly what we're talking about here is giving the flexibility to the family so that they can make, get an education system that tailors the needs of their learner. We all know that God created us all different, all of our kids unique, but yet our education system doesn't reflect that. It is time to inject that change in our education system by empowering our families. Yeah, I think that's that's really well said. You know, and I, I think that last part that you mentioned is so important, the individual needs of kids. It just gets so often overlooked. It's just this, It's just this cookie-cutter approach of well this is the way we've always done it and this is the curriculum we've always used and this is you know this is the way it is um and i know even my personal experience i mean my son's not quite school age yet but i can just tell you if he gets thrown into a classroom with 50 60 other kids uh in a public school setting he he's just not going to make it i mean he needs he needs more individualized attention and and teaching uh than what he's going to get in that type of traditional setting and uh, and there's a lot of kids out there like that and there's a lot of kids out there that unfortunately because of government rules and just made up uh you know regulations that governments come up with over time they need that and they can't get it uh, because government government thinks that they know best. I, one of the things I appreciate so much about Ryan too is, you know, he's not just a he's not just a bureaucrat, right? He's not just uh, a, a state uh, official. He also spent a lot of time in the classroom, and so he's coming at this from a perspective as someone who's been in the trenches, been on the front lines, uh, actually educating kids. And and has a lot of really uh, good insight from that, and also from the campaign trail. Ryan, I mean, you mentioned uh, ESAs and school choice, and what you were hearing about from from parents. That's not just some sort of like sidebar issue. That was like a defining issue of your race. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, so right out of the gate, we had five million dollars spent against me immediately, saying, you know, I'm going to shut down rural public schools, I'm here to shut down all of our school system because 
on, on so pro school choice, which was just absurd lies. We had this money being pumped in from the National Teachers Union to defend the status quo, to defend this government bureaucracy that they've so entrenched themselves in. I mean, that was, you know, that was a, a pillar of our campaign was we believe in parents. You know, unequivocally, we believe in parents. We want parents in charge of their kids' education. We want them to see what's being taught. We want them to see the curriculum. We want them to make the decisions in their schooling of their kids. And it's crazy that that has become such a lightning rod issue over the years. But you saw it with school shutdowns. And, again, you made a great point about, you know, government thinking they know best. You know, what's funny is, you know, the government seems to never – correct itself, right? It's not like they, they get involved and they go, oh, crap, we kind of we kind of ruined this, so now we got to take a step back. No, they double and triple down on it. Yeah. You, know, it's just, it's, you know, this is the government, you know, and, and frankly, what I've begun to see even more and more as I began to get involved in state, uh, in the state government side of things is so much of this is pushed by the feds. You know, the feds yep. are the ones that push Common Core. Oops, okay, well, not just kidding, not Common Core, critical race theory. Okay, well, oops, not critical race theory. We'll do the transgender education now, and we'll start pushing more of this diversity, equity, and inclusion, social, emotional learning. And you're like, guys, leave this alone. Like, stop injecting this stuff into our schools. But we all know the deal here. The radical left has lost their mind. Joe Biden and his radical side of his party have decided to inject into schools this type of social engineering, and they're never going to stop. And the states have to stand up and say, listen, here's the deal. We'll make the decisions on education in our state, number one. And number two, we know the people who are best equipped to make decisions around education are the family. You know, I hear this all the time in education, well, local control. And I tell my guys, you know what local control looks like? It looks like a family yeah. making decisions <laughs> for their kids. That's true local control. And uh, whatever we can do to get that back, and we do it through transparency, you know, we want parents to be able to see what's being taught. We also want parents to see the budgets and budgetary items used in their schools. It, it is incredibly opaque here in Oklahoma. If you go online and try to figure out how schools are using their money, mm. and guess what? They never have enough. The administrators band together and come out and say, you know, we just don't have enough money. We've invested a record amount in our schools here. I know that you guys have invested an incredible amount in Arkansas. And the answer is, look, it's never enough. And, and oh, I'm yeah. just telling them, look, that's a finite amount of resources we've got here, folks. We want to make sure it's being utilized in the best way. We've had tremendous administrative growth in the state. This is the other thing that I heard a lot of the campaign trail is, you know what, teachers tell me, well, I haven't seen all that. And I go, yeah, you're right. You haven't seen all of it because your administrators keep hiring more administrators. They grow bureaucracy and they don't get into the classroom. That's why we need transparency on the budget side of things as well. And then again, the ultimate power you give a parent is saying you'll choose the education option of your kid. That's how we can flip this um, system on its head and put parents in the driver's seat. Man, there's that's so good. There's nothing more local. There's no there's nothing more pure local control than parents and <laughs> the parents making decisions for their family. That's so true. Uh, we got to take a quick break. Ryan, can you hang on for one more segment? Absolutely. All right, let's let's hang tight. Uh, this is Nick Horton filling in for Dave Ellswick. We'll be right back.
And we're back on the Dave Ellswick Show. This is Nick Horton, founder and CEO of Opportunity Arkansas. We're privileged to be joined uh, by phone uh, by uh, Secretary of Education Ryan Walters from the great state of Oklahoma, uh, newly elected as the state superintendent of instruction. We've been talking about some of the great education reforms that they've pursued in Oklahoma over the last few years. Uh, and some of the things they're going to be looking at coming up, including full ESAs and full-on school choice for for kids and parents in Oklahoma. Uh, Ryan, you were talking about the administrative costs right before the break. I don't know I don't know exactly what the landscape is in Oklahoma, but one of the things that we've started to, to uncover here in the state of Arkansas is exactly what you said. There's never enough money. Um, no matter how much money you give the schools, they're always broke. And then we've started looking into how much some of these superintendents are getting paid per year, and I'm not against. Look, yeah, I'm a capitalist. We're all free market people. I want everybody to. I want everybody to be rich. I want everybody to make a lot of money. But when you're taking it from the taxpayers, and you're continually showing up at the legislature saying we're broke, we're broke, we're broke. We've got we've got we've got superintendents right here in Central Arkansas that are making a quarter million dollars a year, three hundred thousand dollars a year. Some of them upwards of four hundred thousand dollars a year by the time you incorporate benefits and bonuses and car allowances and all these things. I mean, it's it's crazy. And I again, I want everybody to make money. I want everybody to be successful. But where, what are the priorities, right? And, and if we're paying superintendents $400,000 a year and we're 49th in education, I mean, something is out of whack. Is that is that something you all experienced in Oklahoma as well? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, it's incredible uh, the amount of money some of our superintendents make. And we've got, you know, some of the ones that make the most money are in the worst performing schools. You know, explain that to me again. You know, as a as a free market capitalist, look, I get it. Hey, if you're doing a great job and, and the kids are doing really well and the community, you know, wants to pay this superintendent particularly more. But as a matter of fact, here we see a lot of times the reverse, where it's it's some of the superintendents in the in the in the school districts that are performing the worst, are making the most money. And then here's something else that we found in Oklahoma: in our schools, we hire more administrative staff than teachers. I want to tell you, I want to say that again because I know it's shocking. We technically, in the state of Oklahoma, our schools employ more non-teachers than teachers. That is <laughs> incredible. You hear this all the time about the teacher shortage, and I have just been talking about this wherever I can. Is you hear you hear the administrators and people talk about a teacher shortage, so we need more teachers. So what do they do? They turn around and hire more administrative positions that, by the way, are much more expensive than your teachers. And yeah. I, and I, and this is what happens when you don't have transparency and accountability in a system. The bureaucrats grow bureaucracy. That's what happens, right? They want to grow bureaucracy. And administrators, instead of getting more teachers in our classrooms to provide that support, instead of getting more money in the teacher pay, what they do is they continue to build out their staff because as their staff grows, that's less they have to do as an individual. And the staff grows and grows and grows. And you especially see this in your larger districts. I mean, some of our larger districts have this massive administrative staff and when I go talk to the teachers they go yeah they don't help me at all I mean it's just dictates from on high they want us to do this they want us to do that it doesn't help me at all in my classroom it's like they're justifying their positions they go well that's exactly what they're doing and that's something we have got to get a hold of in education we've got to have less bureaucracy and we've got to have more money actually the teachers are the ones in the classroom teaching the kids I always ask people this hey I bet you can name your favorite teacher you know, everybody, you ask them, hey, who's your favorite teacher? They've got a great story, great memory. All right, 
who was your favorite education bureaucrat growing up? Yeah, who, who was that administrator? <laughs> I mean, that's not, those aren't the people making the difference in our kids' lives. It's the teachers. We've got to get more of the money in the education system. Actually, to our, and this is another thing I throw out there. I'm kind of throwing a lot at you here, but. Come on. Our, our best and brightest teachers should make more. I, I don't understand yeah. the argument of every teacher should make the same amount of money. Uh, it doesn't make any sense to me. The best and brightest teachers should make more money. We can pay for performance yep. in education. We do it with the service industries all around the United States right now, and they function very, very highly. Why in the world can we not identify if great teaching is, is important, which it is. We know that. We know that inside a school setting, there's nothing more important than the quality of your teacher, right? At, at, overall, it's the parent, but inside the school, it's the teacher. Why in the world don't we incentivize it by paying the best more? And it's just, it's just, we're going to push for that in Oklahoma. We passed one merit pay bill. We're going to continue to push it and be more aggressive on that front. Because again, our rock star teachers, they deserve a lot more money. Yeah, hundred percent. And it provi- provides incentives into the uh, market. Well, and we do it. We do it in. I don't know about Oklahoma, but we, but we do it in Arkansas in other parts of state government. I mean, we pay, you know, uh, X guy to run the economic development agency because well, he's the best, and we got him to come from you know uh, uh, Boston or wherever, and so we're going to pay him not only are you going to pay him 300k a year but we're going to give him bonuses for every you know every new job that he brings in and we're going to pay our our medicaid director uh our your dhs director makes like 300k a year well why well because she's got all this experience and she's great and she's worth it we pay we pay based on merit all the time but why don't we do it in education it's a it's a great point um we're coming up against a hard break uh, Ryan, I could we could do this for hours and hours, and I hope we have a chance to do it again soon. But thank you so much for getting up early and joining us on the Dave Ellswick Show. We got a lot of work to do on education, uh, education in Arkansas to keep up with you guys in Oklahoma. Um, but we're going to do our best. Thank you, uh, Ryan Walters, for for joining us today. Appreciate you, Nick. You're a good friend. You're a great conservative. Appreciate all the work that you're doing in Arkansas. Well, hey, I appreciate it. Let me know next time you're in town. We'll get uh, we'll get some catfish and uh, and talk about education policy. Uh, we got to go to a, to a hard break. This is Nick Horton filling in for Dave Ellswick. We'll be back right after seven o'clock. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. This is Nick Horton, founder and CEO of a brand new policy organization here in Arkansas called Opportunity Arkansas. Uh, If you haven't caught on yet, Opportunity, land of opportunity, used to be our state motto, which it was again. Maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll go back to it someday. There was a bill. There was a bill in the legislature. Uh, ten or twelve years ago, to to actually to go back to the land of opportunity as the state motto, I I would support that. Um, I love the natural state. I think it's I think that's great uh, for tourism and such. But land of opportunity, I mean, what a what a state motto. I mean, what an opportunity to just broadcast to the rest of the world and the, and the country that 
this is a place where you can come and pursue the American dream. You can come and pursue the Arkansas dream. And, you know, I I just have to say, I've been to a lot of states, worked in a lot of states in my previous career. I've traveled a lot and worked on Medicaid and food stamp policy and licensing reform, election integrity, a bunch of different issues in, in about 25 to 30 states, about half the country. There's some great states out there. There's some great people out there. But there's no state like Arkansas. There's nowhere on earth that's like Arkansas. And, you know, I've got a lot of family and friends in Kentucky. I'm a Kentucky Wildcats fan. I was born and raised. I can't help it. And I was born in Tennessee. Um, Love Tennessee. Beautiful state. Smoky Mountains. Great people. No state income tax. It's a great place. There's some great places out there, but there's nowhere like Arkansas. There's nowhere like Arkansas. And what is it? I mean, what's that? You know, I've spent a lot of time thinking about that the last year or so. Like, What is that or those few ingredients, those secret ingredients about Arkansas that make us so special? And it's a lot. It's a lot of things. It's it, it is our natural resources and the natural beauty, and the lakes and the rivers and the fishing and the hunting and you know the scenery. The landscape of this state is just unbelievable. But they have you know they have that other places. It's not. It's it's great. I'm not diminishing it, but it's. It's not the only place in the world where you can find great lakes and rivers and and mountains and great hunting and fishing. And we have great culture. You know, we have uh, a great culture of hospitality, a great culture of just spending time together with our friends and our family and watching football games and frying catfish and just just being together but I think and this is a part of that but I, I think really what it is is it's us it's it's you guys it's it's the people of Arkansas and the way that we love each other and take care of each other and the pride not not arrogance but the you know the pride the the, the feelings of you know, being proud of who we are as a state. And, yeah, the way we pick each other up when we're down, the way that we look out for each other, the way that when when there's a tornado, and Lord knows there's a lot of them, but when there's a tornado, people come from all over the state to help clean up, to pitch in, to bring food and water and and just be with people. I mean, I think that you want to get even more granular. I think that's a lot of it. It's just the way that our Kansans physically come together and spend time together as a community in times of crisis, times of celebration. I mean, we we went last night uh 
I'm no huge fan of the Conway Christmas tree. Okay, in fact, I was on—I think it was on the Dave Ellswick show about eight years ago talking about the Conway Christmas tree. They spent something like a hundred and thirty thousand dollars on this stupid thing of taxpayer money, and their reasoning was basically like, "Well, we didn't have anything else to spend it on, and we had a lot of money sitting around. We didn't know what else to do with it, so you know, we bought a Christmas tree. Sue us." Um. So I'm not a huge I'm not a huge fan of, you know, wasting taxpayer money on things like that. When I go out to Eden Conway, I pay about eleven and a quarter percent on a meal. I mean it's crazy. It's crazy. And that's in large part to pay for things like Christmas trees. But at the same time, you know, we went last night downtown and they had the lighting ceremony and it wasn't anything you know, super magical. I was sitting there thinking, like, we we drove all the way into town and we're sitting here to watch them, like, flip a switch on a Christmas tree. Like, this is kind of ridiculous. But at the same time, I looked around and there were, there were a thousand people out there. And people started singing Christmas carols and, you know, there there's just something about it. There's just something special about this state. And I think... It's easy at times to look around and see to see the problems. We've been talking about the problems. We've been talking about violent crime. We've been talking about record dependency. We had Ryan Walters on in the last segment of the last hour talking about the problems with education and how we we spend all this money. We don't really know where it goes. We know a lot of it is going into the pockets of administrators and superintendents. It's kind of a problem when our teachers are saying they need to be paid more. We're spending record, record amounts of money on the education system. And our outcomes aren't getting any better. And no matter how much we spend, the schools still say they're broke. It's a big problem. It's a big problem that's not going to be fixed overnight, most likely. It's going to be a process. And we've got some ideas for how to make that happen. Create some transparency and some accountability. It's amazing how far a little bit of sunshine, just a little bit of sunshine. And it's not even that, you know, you create the sunshine and then all of a sudden, you know, people are constantly reading all of the reports and criticizing everything. But just the fact that the the information is out there. Just the fact that someone in some government building somewhere knows they have to put their name on this report and publish it online, it, it makes people think. It makes people think about how they're spending our money in a good way. But I think sometimes, uh, you know, it's easy to just focus on the problems, and then we start talking about change, and change is hard. No one like. I mean, very few people like change. I hate it. You know, and, and and as a state, we're really proud. We're really proud for good reason of who we are. We're really proud of our culture, and we don't. We certainly don't like, you know, big out of state groups or whoever coming in telling us how to do things differently or better. And I and, and I, I get that. I I empathize with that, in a way. But there's got to be a way that we can recognize that this is the challenge, recognizing what's great about our state, 
which is our people and our potential, but then also realizing and acknowledging that we can do better. So we're not going to, we're not going to change our way of life. We're not going to drastically, you know, what did Obama say? Uh, Radically transform America. We're not going to radically transform Arkansas. But we're going to build on what we know works and what's wonderful about our state, which is our people and our potential. And we're going to we're going to get our heads out of the sand and quit. We, we got to get rid of this inferiority complex, too. You know, I, I haven't really personally experienced that, but I know there's this mindset out there that, like, well, we're, we're, we're just Arkansas, you know, we're just, we're just always going to be a poor state. Yeah. Thank God. Thank God for Mississippi. You know, that's our state motto. If it wasn't for them, we'd be 50th and everything. Thank God for them. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going there. I'm not with you. We're a great state, and we've got great potential, and it's time we start acting like it. So I want to, enough about that, I want to, well, not enough about that, but building off of that, I want to share this op-ed that I wrote uh, November 19th in the Democrat Gazette. I know some of you saw it. Um, Actually, I'm getting a cue. We're going to, we're going to take a break. Uh, real quick before we do that. But when we come back, I want to share this op-ed with you, and it's going to give you more insight into why and what we're doing at Opportunity Arkansas and this idea of respecting who we are and loving and appreciating who we are as a state, but also realizing we can and have to do better. So we'll talk more about that when we get back. This is Nick Horton filling in for Dave Ellswick. An Arkansas talk legend, indeed, the great Dave Ellswick. This is not Dave Ellswick, though. This is Nick Horton, founder and CEO of Opportunity Arkansas, filling in for Dave. Uh, thanks, Dave, so much for another opportunity to sit behind uh, the microphone here. This is a lot of fun, even though you know, even though I had to get up at like some ungodly hour this morning. I don't even remember what time it was. Um, I don't really, I was sitting here thinking, is this today Tuesday or Monday or Wednesday or Friday? I don't even know what day it is. That's how early I had to get up this morning. I think the, uh, I think the tryptophan from the turkey is, is still wearing off a little bit. Um, ate a lot of turkey. Uh, you cannot eat too much turkey over Thanksgiving. And at our house, you know, in our family, Thanksgiving is a day, but really it's a, it's a week. It's a weekend. It's a, it's a Thursday. You know, start Wednesday night uh, through Sunday night, really, eating leftovers, watching football. Um, you know, we, we try to get in both sides of the family. Um, you know, lots of pie, pumpkin pie, apple pie. Got to have an apple pie. I know pumpkin pie is is a staple, and you got to have it. But you also got to have have apple. And then my sister makes a really good pecan pie. So we had some of that this weekend as well. Um, definitely, definitely overindulged. Took a lot of naps. A uh, lot of naps. I'm at that age where if I eat a big meal, I, I need a little a little snooze in the afternoon. So. Uh, it was a great, great weekend, great Thanksgiving overall, um, and I hope you and your family had a, a great Thanksgiving as well. We've been talking about Arkansas, 
and what makes us so great as a state. And I wanted to share with you all, uh, before we go into our, our next break here at the half hour, an op-ed that I wrote uh, in the Democrat Gazette. Not because, you know, this is not just the, you know, the Nick Horton promotion hour, but I, this, this op-ed, I spent a lot of time and energy and I put a lot of heart into this. And I think it says what I want to say here on the radio just as well as I could say it. Um, well, because I, I wrote it. So um, this was uh, in the Democrat Gazette, uh, November 19th, uh, and it's called Seize Opportunity. So uh, here's the piece um, from yours truly, and it starts with, I remember as a kid uh, growing up in White County, climbing into the old Astro van and making the long trek down to the Arkansas Food Bank with my mom. And we'd pile up on non-perishable food and bring it back to Cersei for our church's food pantry for our neighbors who needed help getting by. At one point, we also had a makeshift pantry of our own in our neighborhood, and we stocked it not only with food, but with diapers and baby formula. My parents maintained and funded this pantry, even though our family probably needed the support as much as anyone, and mom and dad called it the care closet. Mom was so faithful to keep it full and was always willing to help a family in need. It was an honor and a really valuable learning experience for me as a kid to participate in this. My parents never expected any recognition. Frankly, they probably wouldn't have even wanted me to write about this. They were just serving their neighbors. And even then, just as a young kid, it was evident to me how much poverty there was around us. And I remember another time we went to Little Rock to eat dinner, which was a really rare treat for us. We, we were also a, a pretty poor family. And we ate at the old Black Eyed Pea restaurant. And when we stepped out of the restaurant to go home, we discovered that the back windows had been smashed out of the car. And we drove all the way back to Searcy in the cold winter air without windows. And this was my, this was my first real exposure to crime. And I remember the fear that came with it not knowing if we'd been targeted or if we'd simply been random victims. And then I also remember distinctly my dad working two jobs for most of my childhood. Not so we could drive fancy cars or go to the country club or have fancy steak dinners, but so we could eat. So he could put food on the table. And we could afford for mom to stay home and homeschool us and afford the pricey textbooks to do the same. There were no quality schools in our area that aligned with our values, at least not within our price range. So Dad sacrificed nice things for himself and time with us to make sure we could get a quality education. These stories are are my experiences going back almost 30 years, but they're not unique to me, unfortunately. Because when I look at Arkansas today, I see so many of my friends and neighbors struggling with the same generational problems. Poverty, crime, and a lack of quality education opportunities. Some of them are able to scrape by and get the support they need from their local churches, and that's a great thing. Others are able to work extra hours to afford books for their kids, or if they're lucky, send their kids to a school that aligns with their values. But because they didn't get a good education and don't have 21st century 
workforce skills, far too many of our neighbors are forced into government dependency or fall into lives of crime and or their kids are forced into foster care. This should stop us in our tracks. Every one of our neighbors who falls into dependency is robbed of dignity and opportunity. And you and I are robbed of the opportunity to step in and serve them. Something has to change. Our generation can't accept a future for our kids that looks like our past. The problems we saw our parents dealing with are the same problems our state is facing today, decades later. If something doesn't change, are we simply going to pass the buck to our kids and theirs? I'm committed to doing my part to see that this doesn't happen. We're starting a new movement in the state of Arkansas, and it's a movement that's solely focused on simplifying government and solving generational problems so the next generation doesn't have to inherit the problems we and our parents did. It's a movement committed to solving the crime crisis that's ravaging our streets. A movement committed to reducing government dependency and rewarding hard work. And it's a movement dedicated to ensuring every Arkansas child has the same opportunity to pursue a quality education. And every Arkansas child has a safe, warm place to lay their head at night. It's a movement dedicated to renewing Arkansas as the land of opportunity once again. With the most conservative governor in state history coming into office to join the state's most conservative legislature ever, the opportunity to get to work is right now. And for the sake of my kids, your kids, and our neighbor's kids, we have to seize it. So that's the piece, Seize Opportunity, Arkansas Democrat Gazette on November 19th. We're going to publish this on our website soon as well if you'd like to read it, opportunityarkansas.org. It's broad strokes, but to me it's clear. We've got to make sure, we've we got to break these cycles. Can we eliminate poverty? Can we eliminate crime? Can we eliminate all dependency? No. And that shouldn't be, that shouldn't be the, the, the benchmark. But can we do better? Yes. Should we do better? Yes. Should we do everything in our power to make sure that we don't just pass the buck down to our kids and their kids? Yes. We can't accept a future for our kids that looks like our past. Crime, dependency, broken schools, poverty, a broken foster care system that leads to dependency, crime, poverty. We got to break the cycle. We're taking a hard break. This is Nick Horton filling in for Dave Ellswick, and we'll be right back. Nick Horton filling in for the great Dave Ellswick. We're back on the Dave Ells- <clears throat> Dave Ellswick show. Excuse me. I need a uh, need another cup of coffee. Um, 
it's uh it's been a fun morning already we're it's crazy to think we're already an hour and a half in but i've only had one cup of coffee and uh i'm afraid to admit i've become a two cup of coffee guy uh sometimes creeping into the three cup of coffee range it just depends on the day and the availability of the coffee but uh yeah, it's bad. Um, it's I'm not sure. You know, in five years, they're going to come out with another study that says coffee is actually good for you. Uh, I think right now the trend is coffee's bad. But then in like five to six years, the science will change and they'll come back and they'll say, no, actually, coffee uh, prevents cancer and, you know, solves diabetes and, and coffee's great for you. So drink as much as you can. Um, I remember hearing Rush talk about the different studies on salt and how like every 10 years the science would change on salt and whether or not cholesterol you know sometimes cholesterol's good you need a lot of cholesterol and then 10 years later no cholesterol's bad don't don't eat cholesterol it'll kill you um so hopefully the science changes in our favor soon on coffee because my intake is certainly going up and up and up the older i get the older my kids get my son has decided now there's something about the time change those of you that have kids can probably uh appreciate this a little bit more the time change just screws kids internal clock up like crazy and so i don't know what time he thinks it is at like 3 a.m when he wakes up every day now but he wakes up you know rip roaring ready to go at 3 a.m wakes the whole house up and he's he's ready to play ready to go to school ready to do whatever he thinks he's doing that day and apparently has no concept of of what time it is um thanks to uh today light savings time so uh, it's a process. It's been a process the last few weeks, trying to get some sleep, trying to, to retrain him and his sister uh, to get back on the, the same clock as the rest of the world. Um, Nick Horton filling in for Dave Ellswick. I've been uh, very pleased, very uh, grateful to get to share with you guys in the last hour or two about Opportunity Arkansas. It's a brand new policy organization we just started, just launched in the last couple months here in Arkansas. We read an op-ed. I read an op-ed that I wrote. Um, we're going to feature that uh, on our website here in the coming days. But there's something else. There's something else I haven't shared with you guys yet, and this is brand new. If you've been to our website before, unless you've been there in the last two hours, you haven't seen this yet. We just released it, and I, I timed the release uh, per, you know exactly uh, specifically for today because I wanted to be able to come on and, and share this with you guys first and talk a little bit about it uh, at the top of our website at opportunityarkansas.org you will see a new little button there called Roadmap 2023 and this is a, a brand new product it literally just came out in the last couple hours um, again just so I could share it with you guys first and really what this is is very simply, this is our vision for Arkansas. This is what we think uh, uh, renewing the land of opportunity would look like. And so it's a pretty extensive report. We talk about six different pathways to opportunity, uh, making Arkansas's workforce competitive, preparing the next generation for the workforce. So talking about education reform and some of the things that we need to, to do there, uh, restoring law and order. We've talked a lot about our crime crisis and how it threatens opportunity. Life is literally the very foundation of opportunity. There's no, there's no opportunity without it. Um, to, to put it simply, um, we we talk in here in the report about putting Arkansas families first and how are we going to fix our foster care crisis. We're ruining the lives and futures and, and stealing opportunity from kids by sucking them into the foster care system at times when. 
Perhaps they don't need it. Perhaps they'd be better off staying with a, a close relative. Um, perhaps they do need to be in foster care, but they don't need to be in foster care so long. Perhaps they need to be in foster care, but uh, we don't have enough foster families because the state's made it so difficult to become a licensed foster parent. Uh, a whole lot of different uh, aspects and angles to that that we could unpack, um, and some of that's covered here in the report. Then we talk about rebuilding the safety net. Uh, And we talk about reducing the the state bureaucracy. Look, if we want to get rid of the state income tax and we want to solve some of these other generational problems, it's going to have to start. It's going to have to be done in tandem, I should say, at minimum, with reducing the size and scope of state government. We, we, We published a piece last week about state salaries. $300 million a year that we spend on salaries at DHS alone. Three, I'm going to say that again, $300 million a year that we spend on salaries at the Department of Human Services alone. The next highest agency is the Department of Transportation. It's almost half that. It's still a lot of money, but it's, it's almost half what we spend at DHS. It is a massive amount of money. And what are we getting in return? Other than records of numbers of people on welfare, records of numbers of kids in foster care, and if we're going to get rid of the state income tax, we're, we're going to have to look at both sides of the balance sheet, guys. I mean, I'm all for growth. I'm all for, you know, let's figure out how to use the surpluses and bake that in and, and roll that into, into income tax reductions like we've been doing. I think that's great. But that's going to take 30 years. I don't want to wait 30 years. We've waited 30. We've waited 150 years. However long we've had an income tax. 1917, something like that. It, we, we've waited long enough. And we're losing jobs and people and opportunity to the states around us that don't have income taxes. So something needs to change. So I would encourage you, if you if you haven't yet already, go to opportunityarkansas.org slash roadmap2023. And you will see it, just an amazing product, if I do say so myself. Lots of graphics, lots of charts, a very easy to read product. And this is it. This is our plan. This is... Now, and, and let me say what this is not. So this is not the only way to do it. This is not the, you know, if there's state legislators and policymakers out there listening, this is not the do it this way or we're coming after you agenda. But this is, you know, I think a pretty good list, a pretty good list of proposals um, that are Arkansas specific. These are homegrown ideas. This isn't just a carbon copy from whatever other state is doing. Now, we are looking at what other states are doing because I think that's important context. I think it's important to know what the states around us are doing or aren't doing well. Those are the states that we're competing with for people and for jobs and for resources. So we need that context. But but these ideas, these proposals are Arkansas-specific. And that's a big part of who we are at Opportunity Arkansas. It's not just... A cookie cutter approach but it's really about what can we do 
that fits the specific needs. We talked in earlier this hour about what makes Arkansas special and unique. It's our people. It's how we care for each other. It's how we love each other. It's how we're present for each other. So let's take that reality and let's build on it. And let's put people first. Let's put parents in charge. Ryan Walters, last hour, said it better than I could say it. The best form of local control is parents. Let's put parents and families in charge of their kids' education. I I would bet you a large sum of money, if I had it, that parents know what their kids need better than government bureaucrats. As a parent, I can definitively tell you, I know what's better for my son and my daughter than any government bureaucrat. Even the smartest, most well-intentioned government bureaucrat doesn't know my child. They've never met them. And if they have met them, they don't know them as well as I do. They weren't there at the hospital when they were born. They weren't there when they took their first steps. They weren't there when they said their first words. They don't know their needs and their tendencies and their strengths and their weaknesses and where they might need more help or more individual coaching or whatever the case may be. And and this is where we're at as a culture in a lot of ways is just government knows best about everything. Government knows. We'll just, just create a new program. Throw some more money at it. Government will figure it out. Clearly things are working so well. I mean, look at our educational outcomes. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. We talk about this in the in the roadmap to opportunity uh, at opportunityarkansas.com. The state of Arkansas right now, according to the most recent data, is 47th in reading, 43rd in math, and 45th in college readiness. Uh, about two-thirds of our kids can't read at, at grade level. Let's say that again. About two-thirds of our kids can't read at grade level. We, we are getting the... We, we are missing the most fundamental basics of education. And the idea, you hear these special interests, the superintendents and... All these, you know, the teachers union and all these folks talk about... I mean, look, we all we all love our teachers. We all love our schools. It's, it's great. But the results aren't there. I mean, I, I love my son. When he gets older, he's going to have chores. And if he doesn't take out the trash or he doesn't feed the chickens, you know, the, there's going to be consequences. We're not going to let that roll on for 100 years before we say, well, hold on, like, let's let's do something a little bit differently. And, you know, someone once said, a wise person once said, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different result. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing in our education system. We're doing the same thing over and over and over and over, and we're just throwing money at it. And what does government care? It's not their money. 
and we just get the same results over and over. And then the next year, we're like, well, golly, what happened? Can't believe we're still 48th and 49th and everything. What? Let's 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 find the money, spend some more on it. Maybe it'll work out this time. So, you know, it is time to do something different. Ryan Walters, again, from Oklahoma, had some great ideas about transparency, school choice. Let me tell you, this is the moment for school choice. And and, and Ryan's right. You know, they're going to fear monger and they're going to say all the things that they're going to say. But it's a mandate at this point. I mean, you look at the legislators that won the seats that we picked up in the fall, in November, earlier this month. They ran on school choice. And we got to take a break. We'll talk, uh, we'll talk more about school choice and education reform uh, as soon as we get back. This is Nick Horton on the Dave Ellswick Show. Nick Horton filling in for Dave Ellswick. Thanks again, Dave, for the opportunity. Um, just so you folks know, we'll have an hour break coming up at 8 o'clock from 8 to 9, and then we will come back at 9.05, 9.06-ish. So stick around. Um, go grab some coffee. Go look at the Roadmap to Opportunity, actually, on uh, opportunityarkansas.org slash roadmap2023. It's going to give you a really good look at what we think are some priorities for the legislature, for the new governor coming in. How do we open up opportunity? How do we make Arkansas the land of opportunity again without actually changing the state motto, at least not right now, maybe someday. Uh, but how do we, you know, realistically, philosophically create the land of opportunity in Arkansas again? And some really simple ways to do that. Getting rid of the state income tax is a really basic way uh, that we need to uh, that we need to address that we need to reform and eliminate really the state income tax to create opportunity for all our Kansans. Look, the state income tax is really simple to me. It's a it, it's a penalty on work. It is a punishment on work. You go to work, you make a thousand bucks. Let's say for easy math, government takes five percent. Simple. I mean, now, okay, before I start getting tweets, I'm going to have to do the math in my head here. If, you, if you're making 1000 bucks a week or 1000 bucks a, a, a pay period, you may not be at the 5% tax bracket, okay? Forgive me. But you get the point. You make whatever you make, and it doesn't take a lot of money to get into the top tax bracket in Arkansas, and you're at 5%. And if you double your income, guess what? You pay twice as much. Still 5%, but you're paying more in dollars. Government's going to get theirs. And they're punishing you for earning money. It It's that simple to me. And yes, we have to have some taxes. We have to have some fees. We've got to pave the roads and pay the teachers. My philosophy is pave the roads, pay the teachers, and go home. Pave the roads, pay the teachers, and go home. That's pretty much what state government needs to be focused on. But we're talking about school choice before the break. This is the moment. We've got 80-plus percent majorities in the legislature. 
We've got the most conservative governor in history coming into office. This is the time. And I think, you know, look, you can go race by race from the fall. Certainly the governor's race is a great example of someone who said, we need school choice, we need educational freedom, we need to put parents back in charge. She got over 60% of the vote. If I'm not mistaken, I think it was the largest margin of victory in the history of, certainly in modern history, of Arkansas gubernatorial races. You go down the legislative ballot, on the House and the Senate side, virtually every candidate that said, I'm for school cho- I'm for putting parents in charge. Forget school choice. I'm, I'm for putting parents in charge and letting parents decide whether it's, whether it's sending your kid to a different public school, whether it's sending your kid to a charter school, whether it's sending your kid to a private school, whether it's deciding to homeschool and being able to get some financial, tell me if your financial resources back from the state. I mean, in what other context, in what other way? I mean, I guess welfare is an example. But in what other way do you, you have to pay for a service that you don't use? If, you, if you're not participating, if your kids aren't going to the public school system, why should you have to pay for it? Oh, Nick, yeah, really? Yeah. Yeah. You're going to defund the public schools. The dollars should follow the students. The parents should be in charge of where their kids go to school. It's really, it's really simple. And this is the moment to get it done. And so you go, you go race by race. You go legislative race by legislative race. Virtually every single one of them that said we're for putting parents back in charge won their elections. And in some cases, decidedly. In some cases, against Democrats that were saying the opposite. So I I think there's a pretty compelling case to be made that this past election was the school choice election, was the putting parents back in charge election. And those ideas, that, that, that concept won overwhelmingly. And now it's time to deliver. And I will say, you know... It, not to be the negative Nancy, negative Nelly. It's easy now to think, well, we got these super majorities and we got a super conservative governor. So, like, let's just let's just coast for a while. That would be a really, really big mistake. We've been given an opportunity to deliver some change to solve some generational problems. People aren't just voting for conservative legislators purely because they're mad at the other side. Now, certainly there's some of that. But that anger, that, that, that frustration with the other side has to eventually, at some point, turn into real big results and changes. Reducing the size and scope of government, eliminating the state income tax, putting parents back in charge of education, just to name a few. If we don't deliver some of these big things, we're not going to have super majorities forever. We might keep the majority for a long time. 
But what voters expect results. Voters expect to see some things change. And we've got to deliver. We owe it to ourselves. We owe it to our kids to deliver. We've got to go to a hard break. We'll be back at 9 o'clock. So take an hour or so break here. Get some coffee and come back. The Dave Ellswick Show. This is not Dave Ellswick. Sorry for the disappointment for many of you. This is Nick Horton, guest hosting for the great Dave Ellswick. I feel hardly worthy to be filling the this big chair and these big shoes, um, but grateful for the opportunity. We had a great two hours. Wow, the time really flies. Uh, we had uh, only only a couple of guests, um, really only one guest. We had Ryan Walters uh, towards the end of the first hour, and then apparently I just talked for an hour, so uh, hopefully didn't put any of you back to sleep, but we're talking about what's happening here in the great state of Arkansas. We've been talking a lot about what makes Arkansas great. Why do we love Arkansas so much? And uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. If you have thoughts, shoot me a tweet. At N.H. Horton. Two H's in there. I always have to remind people. Got my middle initial in there. At N.H. Horton. Shoot me a tweet and I'll uh, I'll read it on the air. Tell me why you love Arkansas so much. There's a lot of reasons. Um, for me, I think it really comes down to, yes, our culture and our way of life, but really just our people. Just, just you guys. Um, the way we love each other. The way we... You know, the, the the fact that I can live in Conway, Arkansas, and I can drive to somewhere random in northwest Arkansas and walk into a, a grocery store and see someone that I know, uh, and maybe that I haven't seen in 15 or 20 years, but I know them, and they know me, and they remember me, and we can we can strike up a conversation just like, just like it was yesterday. Um, that's one of the things I love most about Arkansas. And it's funny, you know, I've spent most of my career working for a national think tank. I never actually left the state. I just worked remotely and traveled quite a bit. But now now that I'm running an Arkansas-based company and and started this new Arkansas policy organization called Opportunity Arkansas, you can learn more at opportunityarkansas.org. I'm out and about a little bit more than I have been the last several years, going to some political events and showing up at a few more things at the Capitol and I've been engaged a little bit, but you know, definitely more so now than I have been the last few years. And, you know, I'm bumping into people that I knew from college Republican days when I was running the college Republicans at Harding and, you know, gosh, Oh seven, Oh eight, Oh nine, 15 years ago, 12, 15 years ago. But it's like, it's like, we never lost touch. It's like, oh, hey, I remember you from 15 years ago. I've been keeping up with you on Facebook. I know what you're doing. How's your family? How's your mom? And that, you know, I 
maybe that exists in other places of the country. You know, I've mostly only lived here, but I just think it's really special. I think this is a a really special place to live. We have really special people. We care about each other. We have great natural resources. We have every reason to be the most prosperous state in the country, the most business-friendly and, and by the way, when I say business friendly, I don't, I mean, yes, I mean friendly to corporations, quote unquote, but that's just a part of it. It was a very small part of it. I mean, they get lumped into the pie, but really it's about making it easier for people like you and me to start a business. I, I can tell you as a business owner now, there's nothing better. There, there is from a, from a employment standpoint, the freedom and the oh, what's the word? Almost the adrenaline rush of owning your own business. The responsibility that comes with that, you know, it, it's intimidating when you're on the other side of it. Like, man, am I really going to take this leap? There's so much security in just having a eight to five job and depending on somebody else for your paycheck and there's nothing wrong with that but man working for yourself i got i got a taste of that early on as a kid i started a lawn care business you know when i was just 12 and didn't really plan to start a lawn care business but had a couple people in the neighborhood that needed the yards mowed and man i loved it i loved just getting out and the freedom and all my friends were going out and getting jobs at Sonic or Lowe's or whatever, you know, whatever was available for a summertime job in Searcy and good for them. I mean, they were working hard, but I just could never imagine that, man, you got to clock in, you get a 15 minute break, you got to clock out, you got to clean up, you got, you got, you know, and then, and then later in the, in my professional career, getting out of school, the thought of having to go work in a cubicle somewhere was just it was just too much to bear. And I remember moments after, right after getting out of grad school thinking, gosh, I might just have to live with mom and dad for a while until something, something comes along, like some remote job or, or a traveling job or something. Cause like, I just can't be cooped up in a, in a cubicle. And, you know, obviously coming after coming, coming off of a week of Thanksgiving, uh, a lot of time to reflect and just think about, where I'm at, where my family's at, and wow, what a what a privilege to get to work for myself. And it's not because I dislike people or because I, you know, like oh, you know, can't can't work for somebody else. I could, I have for a long time. I might again someday. But man, it's so rewarding. It's 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 the modern day equivalent of you know being a a farmer and just going out and planting your own crops and living off the land. That's kind of the feeling that comes with, with being an entrepreneur. And so why can't we, why can't we have government policies in place that not only allow that to happen more easily, but encourage that to happen. And that's what this roadmap to opportunity. If you go to opportunity, Arkansas.org slash roadmap, 2023, that's a big part of what this is about. 
is let's create an environment for more entrepreneurs and more small businesses. Because I've, I've experienced it, and I can tell you it's, it's phenomenal, and I want it for more people. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we're going to shift gears a little bit. We're going to talk with uh, Mr. Bruce Dodson, who runs a nonprofit ministry here in Arkansas called For King and Kingdom. And I've had the privilege to be a part of this ministry and some of the retreats that they uh, that they host, and it's really phenomenal. And so just in this kind of season of the holidays with Giving Tuesday coming up tomorrow and just having time to kind of reflect back over the, the last year, I thought it'd be a great opportunity to have him come on and talk about that ministry. So we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk with Bruce Dodson about for King and Kingdom. Please stay with us on the Dave Ellswick Show. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. This is Nick Horton filling in for Dave Ellswick. Hey, we've been talking a lot about opportunity, and we've been talking about just kind of where we are as a state in terms of educational outcomes and crime and et cetera, et cetera. Well, we're going we're gonna to put all that aside for a few minutes. We're going to shift gears, and we're going to talk about something a lot more important than that, which is uh, a very, very uh, awesome, cool ministry that's based here in Arkansas. You may or may not have heard of it. Uh, it's called For King and Kingdom. I've been privileged to be a, a small part of some of their retreats. And uh, I just thought with Giving Tuesday coming up and kind of the end of the year, just thought it'd be a great chance to have their founder uh, come on and talk a little bit more about their ministry. So we're very privileged to be joined right now by Mr. Bruce Dodson. Uh, Bruce, are you with us? Yeah, good morning, Nick. Hey, good to talk to you. Thanks so yeah, much for making time. I know. Hey, I know it was short notice. Uh, I wanted to have you on last month and ended up getting booked up. And so uh, it was a little bit late over the holidays getting getting things scheduled for today. But, hey, I really appreciate you making time. Absolutely. Thanks for thinking of me and having me on your show, Nick. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've told folks just a snippet about For King and Kingdom, but uh, certainly have not really scratched the surface. So I wanted to have you just just tell folks a little bit about the ministry and how it originated and and kind of where it stands today. Okay, I can do that. I'll try to make it brief. Uh, We consider ourselves really to be a church supporting ministry because the ministry it is a retreat ministry it's not your typical men's retreat ministry but it actually grew out of the local church that that i've been a part of for over 20 years Uh, and it just kind of grew out of a felt need that we had we just had some men in our church that we felt like uh, were stuck and needed something unconventional uh, and different to really try to reach their heart uh, and try to kind of help not kind of but that help them have an opportunity to live you know, a different life uh, in their faith and also at home with their family and their wives and in their community. So started, just decided on a, on a whim, let's, let's just do this retreat. My brother and I helped design the first retreat along with some other resources that we had. And it just kind of took off at uh, Lake Valley Community Church in Hunt Springs in like 2006, 2007. And uh, we turned around about seven or eight years later and we'd done almost 35 retreats or 30 retreats for these men uh, and it's a small retreat only eight men at a time and it was making a big impact on the life of our church the culture of our church the involvement of men which is sometimes a challenge uh, in the local church to get men really engaged involved and so somewhere around 2015 or 16 the elders of lake valley decided that 
what we had was really good and important and more people needed it just just other than just our church our local body and so they basically released me and, be, and began to support me to help figure out how do we take what we've been doing here that's been so helpful and effective and find a way to give that away to other churches in our area in our region and so We've been working on that uh, vision. We've been imagining how to do that for about the last six or seven years now. Um, and it seems to be going really, really well. We've had a lot of success in the last several years. So. Yeah, and, and talk a little bit more about that. I know it started with Lake Valley, and then it's kind of grown into some other churches. And then it, it looks like, I mean, I got your annual report in the mail the other day. I mean, it's continuing to grow, uh, which is really exciting. Tell us uh, tell us more about the ways that the ministry is growing right now. Yeah, yeah. It, it's well, it's, number one, it started off slow because we we knew how to lead and build and create retreats. We didn't know how to create a nonprofit. <laughs> other people had to do that. Um, and then COVID hit. Uh, we were, it felt like we were just starting to kind of get some momentum with, you know, some people that were inquiring. And, of course, COVID hit, and that shut us down. But at the time COVID hit, we had basically three what we would call partner churches, uh, Lake Valley, of course, uh, Summit Church in North Little Rock. Uh, the Summit Church, and also First Baptist Church of Hot Springs. And since then, and since we've kind of recovered, like we all have, and life's got more back to normal with uh, with that interruption, we've, uh, we've onboarded about five or six more local churches. Uh, and I'll tell you a little bit more about what onboarding means, but we've done that in central Arkansas. We've also got a partner in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and a developing partnership with the church, First Baptist Church of Wichita Falls, Texas. So so that, that's kind of what, what happened really mostly in the last two and a half, two years, is we've, really, we've seen it almost triple in the number of partner churches that uh, have come alongside and said, we want we want to be a part of this. We want to learn how to do this so that we can have this ministry here for our men in our own local church. And so basically what we do is um, when people approach us and we do all, everybody does their due diligence, so to speak, and we agree to entering into a partnership, we basically take about a year, year and a half to begin to host retreats for this church, begin to develop their leaders, provide training and materials for them so that hopefully in about 12 to 18 months, they're able to reproduce the retreat for the men of their church with without our direct help. Uh, we're still in the background providing training and materials for new leaders, but that's kind of the, sure. that's kind of the short-term version is to partner with them, walk with them, uh, train them, and then release them. Uh, to do uh, to do that as a ministry to their men in their local church. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Um, we're talking with Bruce Dodson from For King and Kingdom. You can learn more about their ministry at forkingandkingdom.com. I was talking to a friend the other day uh, and telling them about your ministry, Bruce, and they said, "Oh, For King and Kingdom, I, I love their music. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's not that for, it's it's not for King and Country. It's for King and Kingdom. Um, great band, but uh, a little bit different. Um, yep. Bruce, can you?" We've got just a few more minutes here. Sure. The retreat experience itself, what can you tell folks about, you know, we've all been to, look, I, I'm, I'm happy to say I've been to a fair share of really crummy uh, men's retreats where, you know, we just kind of throw a football and throw some horseshoes and, and eat a steak and go home. And I think, boy, I spent I spent $300 and a weekend away from my family for, for a steak uh, and, a, and a game of horseshoes. Uh, but what, what makes these retreats unique and special and, and what impact do they have on men? 
Mm. Um, well, like I said earlier, it's, it, it is a very intimate setting, so we only take eight participants every time we go. And it's a four-night retreat. Um, you know, we've been asked a lot of times, well, what makes it special and what's it really about, what makes it work. Um, it's an experience for men. Men don't very often take that kind of time out of their life just to uh, take a look at themselves through the lens of their own story, uh, yeah. through the lens of where they've been and who they are and how they function in the world at a lot of different levels. And they typically don't do that in a group with other men in a very intentional setting. And so uh, the retreat actually invites guys to do two things in a kind of a global sense. One is to take a look at their story. They learn to see their story through a different framework um, and to explore that with these other eight men that they're going through that. So we spend some time kind of looking back, not trying to blame anybody or fix anything, just to try to understand, you know, What's, what what has my story been? What's impacted me? Where has God been in my story? And maybe ways I didn't see him in my story. And then that culminates at a certain point in the retreat, and then we began to look forward, and we began to imagine together uh, how I can be released uh, into kingdom work in my family, in my neighborhood, in my community, in my church, and possibly even with implications beyond that. So it's a deep dive into my past story, my present story, and then a look toward my future story um, in, a, in light of who Christ is in our life and, and in light of the fact that we're made in the image of God and that has implications and the fact that we, uh, we don't do it alone. We do it with the Spirit of God. And we also do it with a group of men that have the same passion that we do. Yeah, that's true. I think that's a great way to summarize. Having been on a couple of these, I think that's a great way to summarize um, these retreats. Uh, Bruce, we got time for maybe just one more question. Sure. You talk about the 300. You've got a section on your website about mm-hmm. the 300. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Giving Tuesday coming up tomorrow and spirit of the season of giving, tell yes. folks a little bit more about uh, about the 300. Yes, I will. Um so when COVID hit, we were we're a nonprofit, so we we raise money like most nonprofits do, or maybe we have to raise money. Most nonprofits do, and we were kind of doing it kind of through uh, events and banquets and golf tournaments. And then COVID hit, we had to kind of pivot. And what we realized was that we had we've got almost seven or eight hundred men who've been through this retreat experience over the past fifteen years, and we began to realize that we we really need to change our our philosophy, and we need to invite men, uh, kind of a grassroots type of decision to support us on a monthly or annual basis. And so we 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 created something called the 300, which is based uh, on. You know, a lot of people think it's from the Spartan 300, but it's not. <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's based on the Old Testament story of uh, of um, Gosh, I'm blanking on his name right now. And you asked me the question. Um, um, it'll come to me. It's from Judges. It's from, you know, it's from Judges. I, I, don't, I don't remember. I can't name. believe I'm blanking on this. You put me on the spot. I'm uh, sorry. Gary, uh, um, this is terrible. Gideon. Thank Gideon. You. Yeah. Gideon. Uh, and so, you know, the story of Gideon where, you know, God, he was just nothing, you know, uh, threshing wheat, hiding from the, the enemy. And God began to speak to him and call him out. And he finally agreed to you know, do what God asked him to do, and he started forming an army, and God kind of whittled that army down from 10,000 men to 300 men, mm. uh, and God used those 300 men 
you know, to set uh, set Israel free uh, and to create a new uh, a new opportunity in Israel uh, to follow God in a way they hadn't in a long time. So uh, we just took our inspiration from the guy's name I couldn't remember, which is Gideon, <laughs> to you know to create an organ to create a, a group of men, uh, 300 men that would uh, join us by being just supporters financially of the ministry. Um, and so that's what that's all about. If you become a part of the 300, uh, you've agreed to be a financial partner for us to kind of pay it forward and help us help other churches and other men uh, experience the same kind of things that we have. Yeah, that's that's phenomenal. Well, Bruce, uh, thanks so much for your time. I encourage folks to go to forkingandkingdom.com, learn more about this ministry. Become, become part of the 300. I'm part of the 300. This is a fantastic ministry, uh, Arkansas-based, uh, but is having an impact really around the country, and I believe will, in short time, be having an impact around the world. Um, so thank you, Bruce, for your time. Uh, it was great, great to catch up. Yeah, thanks for making it work out. And uh, this is Nick Court and filling in for Dave Ellswick, and we're going to go to a break. We'll be right back. And we're back on the Dave Ellswick Show. Nick Horton still here, still filling in for the great, the handsome, the wildly intelligent Dave Ellswick. I don't know how he does this every day. I mean, what a what a wizard uh, to be able to come on and uh, get up at the the hour of day that you got to get up at to do this show and do it every day uh, with with excellence. Uh, Kudos, Dave, uh, for what you do and what you've done for for so many years. And really, thanks again for just letting me be a small part of it. Uh, I remember, you know, growing up as a kid in Searcy, White County, every once in a while could pick up Dave on uh, on the FM radio and would listen in. And of course, grew up listening to a lot of the other talk radio greats as well, and just fell in love with talk radio at a young age. So it's it's kind of a dream come true to get to be here. Really, uh, you know, I, I've done this twice before, um, and I think it just kind of didn't feel real at all the the first two times. And today, I'm like, okay, wow, like I'm actually here. Uh, I've got a picture, you know, a, a, a cutout of Donald Trump and John Wayne staring at me, uh, and I'm in the the great Dave Ellswick studio. Um, and he's not here and, and I'm in control of the microphone and it's just uh it's kind of a crazy feeling, but uh it's been a lot of fun and hope to get to do it again soon. Thanks again to Bruce Dodson for hopping on. I he played it so cool, but I, I totally sprung this on him la- late last night and said, Hey, would you want to come on the show and talk about for King and Kingdom? It's such a great ministry. It is really going to explode. It's already starting to explode, but I think it's in the next couple of years, it's going to be a household name in Arkansas. Churches all over the state are going to be participating in this. They already are. Um, we've got at Summit Church, where I'm a, a, a proud member, we've got four or five of our campuses that are participating in these retreats and uh, churches all over the all over the state. And as, as Bruce mentioned, even into Louisiana, uh, into Texas, I think potentially going into Mississippi soon, like churches all over the region are going to be participating in these retreats and there's really no way there's just really no way to do it justice to describe what happens on these retreats but there's something about going away uh, to a remote area with people that you're very close to and just turning off all the noise and just just spending time with each other and with the Lord. Um, there's a, there's an, a massive amount of clarity that comes from that. Again, as Bruce said about looking backwards, also looking at where you are now and then looking forward at the, at the destiny that, that the Lord has for you. And, you know, if you're feeling just kind of stuck where you're at and you're just kind of feel like you're spinning your wheels and you need a, you need a reset, or maybe you need a, a set for the first time to just get your bearings on 
where the Lord wants you to go and, and how he wants to use your life. I, I don't know of anything better that's out there than for King and Kingdom. So I would encourage you to take a look at their website for King and Kingdom. If you're a church leader and you want to learn more about how your church can be a part of it, reach out. Bruce is a phenomenal guy to work with, uh, and he'll he'll tell you more about the retreats and, and how your church can be a part of it. And I, w- I just can't, can't encourage you uh, enough to do that. Um, We've also been talking about Opportunity Arkansas, a brand new policy organization. And when I say brand new, I mean like like we got our 501c3 status approved about three weeks ago. So we, we have been on the scene for just a very few weeks now. Today, we released for the very first time, and you guys heard about it here first, our roadmap to opportunity for 2023. So this is just, this is kind of our vision for how do we make Arkansas more business friendly? How do we make let me let me back up. How do we make Arkansas more worker friendly? How do we make sure that we're rewarding hard work and we're reducing barriers and and making work as accessible as possible? We've got some ideas for how to do that. How do we fix our education system and make sure that kids are prepared for the workforce? Because that's what education's about, right? I mean, education is not just about like, well, let's let's teach kids how to count and how to read and then send them off and maybe hopefully they make it into a career. No, like education should be about preparing the next generation to work in the economy and the economy's changing uh, in a lot of ways for, for the better. And our education system is stuck in the 1950s and we've got to modernize and we've got to get more intentional about really preparing our kids for the workforce and the next generation of the workforce. And so we've got some ideas about how to do that. We've talked about our crime crisis. We've got some ideas in there about how to how to tamp down on violent crime. We talked a lot about violent crime. What about property crime? Okay. This, show of hands, how many of you know how bad property crime is in the state of Arkansas? There, there's hands going up everywhere. Everybody knows. There will be 216 property crimes in the state of Arkansas today. 216 property crimes today. And tomorrow, there will be 216 property crimes in the state of Arkansas. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day. That's how much crime we have in our state. And it, it, it's not acceptable. And it's also not, like, it's not avoidable. Or I should say it is avoidable. It's not something we have to accept. It's not something we have to say, like, well, this is just the way it is. This is just the way it's going to be. We talked a little bit earlier about kind of this inferiority complex that we have sometimes. Like, well, we're just, we're just Arkansas. I mean, we're never going to be Texas. We're never going to be Tennessee. Thank God for Mississippi. No. This is a great state. It's time we start acting like it. Not only as individuals, but also as a state government. We start standing up for ourselves. And, I, you know, look, it's a very exciting time. It's a very exciting time to be a conservative in particular. And I think we've got a governor now coming into office who's serious about 
putting Arkansas on the map, so to speak, and telling the world how great of a state this is. And that, look, like, there can be, you know, good and bad with that, right? Like, we've seen a little bit of what's happening in Texas with all the importation of the Californians. And it's changing the political makeup of the state a little bit. You might say, you know, we're seeing a little bit of that in Northwest Arkansas. But at the end of the day, if we get the basics right, if we get the basics of government policy right with no state income tax, real school choice and education reform that works, fixing our broken foster care system, fixing our broken welfare system, a lot of that other stuff is going to just, it's going to sort its way out. If we stop putting people on welfare, able-bodied people, okay, almost half of the people on our Medicaid program in Arkansas now, they're not in nursing homes. They're not the truly needy, okay? We all want, and in fact, that's a reason we need welfare reform in Arkansas, is because we're currently failing. I think I can make a pretty compelling case. We are failing those folks, the truly needy, because almost half of our Medicaid program is now comprised of able-bodied, working-age people. I could quit my job today and go sign up for Medicaid and stay on it forever in the state of Arkansas. No time limit, no work requirement, no requirement that I have a disability or that I have, even that I have dependent children. I mean, that used to be a requirement. It used to be, okay, you we're going to provide some Medicaid coverage to low-income moms and dads that have kids because we want to make sure that, you know, they can take care of their kids. And theoretically, there was, you know, good intention there. That's not even the case anymore. You don't even have to be a parent. You just go sign up. And, and like, people don't want to talk about this. or I don't know, maybe people just don't understand how bad it is. But when we decided to expand Medicaid, that's what we signed up for under Obamacare. And I hate to break it to you. But if you want to get just down to brass tacks and talk about just the raw politics of this, we've added about half a million able-bodied adults to Medicaid through expansion. Those people ain't voting for conservatives. I mean, there's research on this to show. We're creating more dependents and more Democrat voters by continuing to put more and more people on welfare, period. And so if we're worried about people moving from California, or you know, if, we, if we get rid of the state income tax, we start importing all these workers, and they're going to you know, change the political dynamics of our state, what we ought to be concerned about is the people that are already in our state that we've made dependent, and we've converted into Democrat voters because they're getting a check, and they're getting Medicaid in perpetuity, and food stamps and all these other benefits. That's, I think, the real threat. 
to the political foundations of our state going forward. We got to take a break. We're coming back for one last segment on the Dave Ellswick Show. This is Nick Horton filling in for Dave. Hey, this is the Dave Ellswick Show. It's Nick Horton filling in for the great Dave Ellswick. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we're coming up on the end of the show, which is a little sad. Um, hopeful to be back soon. Um, but it's been a good it's been a good show. We've talked a lot about Opportunity Arkansas, a brand new policy organization that we have stood up here in the state of Arkansas in the last just few months. Really would encourage you and appreciate. Uh, you go into opportunityarkansas.org to find out more about what we're working on. Um, you know, and if you want to get involved, like, look, this is, we'll be clear about this. Opportunity Arkansas, you know, I founded it. I'm the CEO. I'm obviously going to be pretty involved, but it's not about me. I mean, Opportunity Arkansas, and look, I'm, I'm, okay, politicians say that all the time. This is This isn't about me. This is about us. This is about the future of Arkansas. Okay, but I actually mean it, okay? This this is a movement that I think is already we're already seeing is resonating with folks around the state, whether they're policymakers or longtime conservative activists or just conservative voters who are just frustrated. Not not that and it's not that the Republican legislature has necessarily done anything horribly wrong in the last few years, in the last couple of legislative sessions. But I think it's time to pick up the pace. And and that's something that I've heard from folks as I've been traveling around, speaking to conservative groups and luncheon clubs and Republican women and all these different groups around the state in the last couple of months, telling them about Opportunity Arkansas. They, they, they're, they're antsy. They want to see more. And I think that's fair. I mean, I do think, and I, as I've told them, and I'll say again here today on the radio, we talked about earlier took time to dig the hole it's going to take a while to climb our way out right now we need to focus on putting down the shovel y'all probably going to get tired of hearing me say that but i think that's where we're at for at least the next year or two let's put down the shovel and then let's get to work um and that work starts in january like i'm not saying i'm not saying let's wait till the 2025 legislative session we got to get going right now but it's going to take a little bit of time Having said that, we can pick up the pace from from where we've been. And so I think continuing to chip away at the state income tax, getting serious about education reform, getting serious about fixing our dependency crisis. And and by the way, all these things tie together. All these things tie together. We reduce crime, we're going to see dependency go down. We reduce dependency, we're going to see crime go down. We reduce dependency, we're going to see more money freed up in our state budget to further reduce the tax burden on workers. We reduce the tax burden on workers. We're going to see dependency go down. We're going to see more people climbing their way out. And by the way, you know, just just by the way, we're going to have a we're going to have a full plan for how to repeal the state income tax. And it's not just like the roadmap. It's not like this isn't the only way that it can be done. But as I'm talking to people, particularly in state media outlets and others, it's like, well, yeah, yeah. Sitting, yeah, repealing the state income tax. Well, yeah. what a joke. Just, just a, it's just a campaign talking point. Well, it doesn't have to be. If it becomes just a campaign talking point, then to some degree, that's on us. 
as voters and taxpayers because we let it we let it happen. We let folks get elected who said they wanted to repeal the state income tax and we didn't hold them accountable or we didn't help them do it. And that's going to be that's going to be a lot of our approach at Opportunity Arkansas is you said you want to do this. We agree with you that this is a very good thing. And so let's work together to figure out how to get there. It doesn't have to happen next week. But it should probably happen in the next few years. I mean, we're close. When you see the plan that we're going to roll out, I think you're going to be really amazed at how close we are. How, and not, It's not going to be easy, right? Because there's a lot of state bureaucrats that want to keep their gigs and keep those checks cashing at 300k a year. And there's a lot of special interest groups in the healthcare sector and elsewhere that they want their money. The schools want their money. Everybody wants everybody's got their hand out. I mean, we're we're a dependency state in more ways than one, right? We're we're a dependency state because we've got almost half our state on welfare. We're also a dependency state because of the amount of money we take from the federal government that makes up the majority of our state spending. We're also a dependency state because we have so many special interest groups and institutions that are dependent on government. We'll have more coming out on that soon as well. So it's not going to be easy. I don't think it's going to be easy to repeal the state income tax because there are going to be there's going to be things that have to change. But it is simple. It is simple. The numbers are simple. And that'll make more sense in a few weeks when we release our income tax plan. Yeah, maybe maybe after the first of the year. We'll see. We're, we're, we're working on a couple more data projections and calculations that we need to, we need to finalize. But that's the kind of stuff you're going to get from Opportunity Arkansas. It's just a real, practical, legislators, you say you want to do this, here's how you can do it. It's not the only way to do it, but here's a way that it could be done. And here's a menu of options that you can choose from. Same thing on education reform, same thing on crime. Again, that's largely what the roadmap is all about, is here's some ways it can be done. And we want to help you get it done. So what can you do? Just if, assuming you're not a state legislator. I know we got a lot of state legislators that listen to the show, but if you're just Joe the citizen, Joe the plumber, let's say, and you want to get involved with Opportunity Arkansas, we would love to have you involved. This is not, again, this is not a Nick Horton promotional tour. This is a movement, and it really truly is. Um, the response that we've gotten from folks joining our email list and signing up to give and joining our social media accounts. I mean, it has really, I mean, we, and we've, we've, again, we've really just only soft launched until this week. This week is really our, our full push to roll this thing out. But there's a few ways we need, we need all of you. Um, and there's a few specific ways that you can get involved. The first one is participate. We're going to have a lot of events coming up. We're going to have some policy summits, maybe do some luncheons during legislative session, all sorts of stuff that's going to be coming up over the next two, three, four, five years. And we always need volunteers. We need folks to help 
serve and greet and just be a part of what we're doing. Just again, that's one of the great things about Arkansas, right? It's like we're we're in this together. We're we're such a community based state. It's one of the things that makes us really unique and special. So we would love for you to participate and sign up to be a volunteer or just sign up to to stay in touch with our events. You can do that on our website. Um, and that and that's kind of the second the second way that you can get involved is activate. Go to our website and sign up for our emails. You'll get our latest research, our latest polling. We're going to have a podcast. We're going to have all sorts of content you're not going to want to miss. So go to opportunityarkansas.org and about halfway down, you can sign up for the weekly wire. We won't spam you. We've only sent out a couple emails so far. We're not going to blow up your inbox, I promise. But we'd love to have you in the loop. So go to opportunityarkansas.org. And the last thing is, look, we're a 501c3. We have actually have two organizations, a 501c3 and a 501c4. Um, but we did get our 501c3 status approved a couple weeks ago. Tomorrow's Giving Tuesday. There's a lot of great charities out there. I encourage you to give to for King and Kingdom and your local church and others. But if you're looking for a place that you can throw 50 or 100 bucks a month, I mean, when I say it'll go a long way, it'll go a long way. 100 bucks a month goes a long way for something like this. So we'd love to have your support. And uh, I'm getting the hook. We got we to gotta go. I could talk for another 12 hours about Opportunity Arkansas. But we'll come back soon, and I'll, I'll talk more with Dave and update you guys about, about what we're doing. In the meantime, go to OpportunityArkansas.org. Sign up for our emails. Thank you all so much. This has been just a lot of fun. Thank you, Dave, for, again, trusting me with this very powerful silver microphone. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 